Hi, everyone. This is Jack, co-host of the Summer Reading Podcast, coming at you live, not live, but not dead either, far in the future, before we even start to tell you that we like to swear. It's an explicit podcast. It's not crazy, uh, but we do say bad words, you know, like fooey, and we call each other cur a lot, like almost nonstop, and uh, what have you. We're good for a good what have you here uh, here and there. So just so you know, if you want to protect your, your delicate paper ears from uh, our, our cutting remarks, um, just be aware of that. So uh, sit back or, I don't know, go for a jog, whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. I'm not your dad. I could be. We don't know. Pretty sure I'm not. Send me a letter. Coming up on the Summer Reading Podcast. I, I, once, I once had a fork snap in half in the <gasps> middle of like me eating pasta or something or spooning wow. something out or I guess forking something out. <laughs> and my first thought was like, do you think it died doing what it loved? Oh my God. Welcome to the Summer Reading Podcast, the podcast where a professor and a librarian read and review all the all of the books you were assigned to read in English class. I am your professor. My name is Jack. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm your librarian. My name is Marty, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, and and welcome. How are you doing today, Marty? I am doing really, really great today, Jack. Um, I. All right. Don't show off. I have been off of work for the past week, which has been nice. Um, and I was at the beach all day, furiously finishing this book, but also enjoying the ocean. Um, and and also, and I have not, a, not what I would think a beach read. I know, no, it's really not, but it was good. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> my my first gothic beach read. <laughs> Everyone's got to have one, right? Um, and and I haven't announced this to to the listeners, but um, I'm you. I mean, you know this, but I'm growing a baby um, in my stomach in a lab. <laughs> in a lab. So that's been exciting and interesting, and I'm officially like four months along which is cool. And my wonderful husband found some non-alcoholic beer that's actually tasty. <laughs> um, so, you're not no duels? No, I'm not no duels, you girl. You don't owe duels? <laughs> so this is called, for any listeners who are interested, this is called um, the Athletic Brewing Company. And it's a non-alcoholic brew that uh, is tasty. So if you're looking for something that tastes like beer, that tastes like good beer, and um, doesn't have alcohol to compromise your um, system, <laughs> or, your, your child, <laughs> your child, then um, then try that out. So that's my plug. Maybe they'll sponsor. Right. Maybe they'll sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'm going on the and required, on. The required reading crowd and the non-alcoholic brew crowd. Totally intersect. That Venn diagram's just a circle. Ab- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, I'm going on and on about myself. How are you? I'm good. I'm back teaching. Woo-hoo. I had um I had a, a break, a little bit of a break over the summer, which is if you have anxiety, not much of a break. Mm. But uh, I'm I'm back and the students are lovely. That's I awesome. I don't know if I've told you this. I probably must have, but I had a back in the spring I had a student who is like an Instagram um, not influencer. Well, maybe. I don't know. I feel like um, you did mention this, actually. Yeah. Well, so I was in, um, I was in, like, a couple of their vlogs mm-hmm. or whatever, and they came up, and there was the one where they gave me lines. Ah. Um, and yeah, I came in, and I, I did the lines, and now, uh, this time, I have, uh, I had students come up to me, uh, and say, oh, we're a big fan of yours. <gasps> um. What? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they <laughs> And they're like, oh, you know, you know, like on Instagram. Oh my god! And I'm like, oh shit! And so today, a student came up and showed me uh, the the skit <laughs> that I was in. I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Um, and then I tried to see what the handle was, but then I forgot it because I also had a headache. Leaving. Oh, boo! <laughs> Headaches are the worst. Yeah. But kitties oh are the best. I was gonna say, so your cat <laughs> named Harriet. Yes mentioned it many times on the show. I went to uh, King Richard's Fair. I went to the Ren Fair. <gasps> yes! I'm um, so jealous. I yeah, love that awesome. place. Yeah, it was awesome. So I went with um, uh, my sister and my mom, mm-hmm. Rosa, Sarah and Rosa. And um, on the trip, it, my mom, I believe, revealed to my sister that... I named my sofa after your cat. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and, and we're going, and we're walking, and, and Sarah's like, how How do you, or maybe it was mom, I don't know, one of them said, how do you have a name for your, your sofa, but you don't have a name for your car? And then my sister was like, what's the name of your sofa? And I was like, Harriet? Uh, and that was like the... <laughs> The craziest thing. That's amazing. Wait, so you don't have a name for your car? No, my car does have a name. My okay. car's name is Car. Oh, so that would be like if I named Harriet Cat. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and and a, a very few people enjoy that. That's <laughs> my car's name. Um, well, I find it so. I find it fascinating because I, for years, I think I was like a, a full grown. 30 something year old adult and a friend of mine had just bought a new car and he was giving me a ride home and I was like oh wow this car's really nice and I was like what's it named and he was like Prius <laughs> I was like, no no I mean what's the car named and he was like what are you talking about and I had this realization that not everybody names their car but my entire oh, life anything. like I, I, we always, in my family, we named our car, and now that I own cars, we name them every time we get a new round of, you know, new to us cars, and I was just like, wow, there are people out there who don't name 
inanimate objects. Not only that, there are people out there that don't even think of it. It's so crazy to me, yeah. The second someone can throw out a blender without it being like some big emotional thing, right? It is is like if I ever get there, uh, I'm uh, like ascending. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously, I I like name water bottles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like... <laughs> it's 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 there. It's like there yeah. there are cups I've failed yeah. <laughs> in this life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I once I once had a fork snap in half in the middle of like me eating pasta or something or spooning wow. something out or I guess forking something out, and <laughs> my first thought was like, do you think it died doing what it loved? Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I would say yes, because <laughs> I mean, if it's gonna, you know, yeah, it's a fork, and if it's pasta, what's better? Fork. For the listener at home, this is the first time in a couple weeks Marty and I have talked to each other. Can you tell? (laughs) (laughs) And I feel feel like we got a little bit of it out of our systems before we started recording. Yeah, which is crazy. But we're still... Well, we we turned on the recording because we started talking about Wuthering Heights. Yeah. And then we turned on the recording and we were like, you know what? Can you decapitate a fork? Yeah. Let's talk um, about let's talk about naming and objects. Like, <laughs> oh, I thought you were about to like put your foot down. <laughs> say, okay, let's talk about let's talk about Wuthering Heights. No, why would I do that? <laughs> All right. Yeah, fair let's enough. but for sure, let's talk about Wuthering Heights because I I have lots of things to to say. Got notes, man. I got some notes, yep. I got notes. Alright, okay, so today you you know it, we know it. We're we read Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Woo. By Emily Bronte. Um, have you read this one before? No. This was a first read for me. Um, the most exposure I had had to Wuthering Heights before reading this currently was, I'm pretty sure I saw part of a really weird MTV film adaptation of Wuthering Heights um, many years ago. We're talking like at least 15 years ago. Um, And that's pretty much, I mean, I knew there was Heathcliff and I knew they were in the moor and that was pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually, I want to see if I can find the info for that film adaptation. But I feel like that's what people know. Yeah. I feel like if you don't know Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff yeah, right? is the touchstone for vaguely knowing yes. uh, this book. Um, yeah, I think it was an MTV. Yes, it was a Wuthering Heights MTV movie from 2003. W- wow. Yeah. That feels like some kind of strange zizigy of media. Yeah. Like, of, of the networks... To make an adaptation of Wuthering Heights, I'm actually not surprised it's MTV. Really? Okay. Yeah. I well, I feel like there's something raw, primal, and teenage. Yeah. About that's true. about this book. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. Because I feel like this book includes every negative and romantic emotion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that is, I would say that is accurate. Um, and from the people who bring you 
such hits as uh, 16. Do they do 16 and Pregnant? Is that the? I think that's MTV, yeah. I, I was about to be critical, but then I was like, oh, I actually don't, don't know. Or the, don't know the real world, that. I mean. The like, real world? Yeah. This, um. so um, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Is this, so is this a first read for you or is this a reread? So this is a reread for me. Okay. I, uh, I actually had to look up when I read it last time. Uh, I didn't remember, so I figured that because I didn't remember that I read it in 2017. Because mm. 2017 was like a foggy year for me. It was a black for hole me. for you. Uh, <laughs> it was a hole of some kind. Um, <laughs> and uh, I went back, I'm like, I had to have, have read it that year. But I was wrong. Okay. I read it in 2016. Ah, okay. Um, and I remember I... Got a Barnes and Noble edition, mm-hmm. but I actually found it at a thrift store up in Farmington, Maine. <gasps> not a Barnes and Noble. It was the store. <laughs> no, it was not oh, the okay. store. Okay, sorry. It was a, it was a the store adjacent store. Gotcha. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, cool, Wuthering Heights. This is like one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought it home. I read it over the summer, and I literally remember nothing else. Oh, I, wow. Actually, sorry, that's not true. I remember thinking to myself, why are there so many characters named Kathy? I know. There's that, lots of Kathys running around in this book. Yeah, that that <laughs> was that was it. Um, so uh, a little bit about uh, Wuthering Heights' background and Emily Bronte. So Wuthering Heights was Emily Bronte's only published novel. Hmm. Um a bit, a bit of a banger, I guess, you know, yeah. sort of come in and say, this is what I do. But, uh, and published 1847. Yes. Um, 1847, uh, under the pseudonym Ellis Bell. Oh. And if you don't know this about uh, the Brontes, it's one of my favorite little Bronte factoids, is that they all published uh, pseudonymously. I think that's the word. Pseudonym. Under fake names. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're um, a lay person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they all went with the family, like a family pseudonym of Bell. Mm. So Charlotte Bronte published under Currer Bell. Okay. Uh, Emily published under Ellis Bell, and Anne published under Acton Bell. Oh, I did um, not know that. That's very yeah, cool. I, and so if you go through any of the old manuscripts, you see, like, for, like, fa- I think most famously Jane Eyre. Yeah. Uh, you'll have, you'll see uh, a novel. A novel by the author, Currer Bell. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is crazy, because they all pick... I, I feel like they, those are all, like, YA love interest names. Yeah. That they've chosen for yeah, themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, in a way that's rather rather romantic. It is. R- rather... It's just shy of gauche, <laughs> um, but rather romantic. So, um, Emily Bronte was the fifth child of the Bronte brood, Um and she uh, did not live very long. Mm. So, born in Yorkshire, she lived, uh, born in 1818 in Yorkshire, and then died in 1848. Wow. So she was only about 30 years old Oof. when she uh, when she kicked it. Um, and because I like to chronicle my adventures with Biography.com, mm. Uh, in one of the first paragraphs they have of Emily Bronte where they talk about the other writing Bronte sisters, 
there is a biography.com page for Charlotte Bronte, but there is not a biography.com page for Anne Bronte. What? And, and to, uh, to be a proper kick in the teeth to Anne Bronte, uh, it says so in the same sentence. So it says, writer along with her sisters, Charlotte, and Charlotte's a link to yeah. their other page on it, and Anne. And Anne's name no is not link. a link oh to, to their page. Um, but weirdly enough, they do then link to Patricia Arquette. Um, <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> they don't. Uh, oh so, my god. Seriously, biography.com, though. Come on. Yeah, Get your act which together. Is, <laughs> It's interesting because I, when I think of the Bronte sisters and the Bronte novels, I think of Jane Eyre mm. first. I think that is the case for most most folks. Yeah, and I want to, uh, I want to like be upfront about being. I'm much more. Uh, it feels like Sex in the City. It's like I'm much more of a Charlotte <laughs> than an Emily. Um, <laughs> uh, but what? And my, my gut instinct is to say that out of all of the the novels mm-hmm. produced by the Bronte sisters, that Jane Eyre is the most famous one. Mm. But um, I don't want the people who absolutely love Wuthering Heights to come after me. Uh, because... <laughs> they, they be, will. Because they will. <laughs> it's like, I feel like the people who love Jane Eyre, on the whole, would not rip me limb from limb they would not tear me asunder but the but the wuthering heights stands out there would yeah. not wait to just just pull my arm off and say okay who's the best bronte now yeah sort of like heathcliff would right like, yeah right you know like coming raging a very healthy yeah. constructive response <laughs> to uh all, i would dare i dare say any emotion yes yeah um so yeah that those are my notes on uh, Emily Bronte. You have uh, anything that you would like no, to? No, I um, as I, I told you before we hit record, I didn't really um, do research. <laughs> so at the very front of my book, there is a chronology of Emily Bronte's life and works. So I glanced at that, and that was the extent of my research. Unfortunately, right. I I actually um, I do want I do want to talk chronologies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in ju- in just a second. Um, all right, okay, so uh, if you're joining us and you haven't read Wuthering Heights, uh, I'm not going to go through the story step by step for you. So much. It's intergenerational. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I, Wuthering Heights is the story of two families and two estates. So you have the Earnshaws and their estate of uh, Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, Thrushcross, Grange, Grange and, the and the Lintons. And the Linton. So it's it's pretty much the story of the Earnshaws and the Lintons. Uh, and one of the big catalysts of the book is Mr. Earnshaw takes in a young Heathcliff. Mm-hmm. Just a, adopts Heathcliff and um, then everything bad happens from there. Yep. Um, so... Uh, that's a good summary, honestly. It's it's <laughs> yeah. so funny because so I was I was talking to Ben about this book earlier because I'm I'm reading his his old copy from college and he said he said that was one of the few I never really made it through. I like got to a, a certain point and then I went to Spark Notes. <laughs> 
and, and use that to, to sort of conclude the story for me because he just couldn't get into it. And um, and he was like, is that the one about like the, the two families and they like live across from each other in the moor? And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like, that's, that's sort of, yeah, but, yeah. but there's more to it. <laughs> so I... I remember that from my initial reading that I didn't really remember anything besides there being Kathy's, mm. um, that it's a difficult book. Yeah. It's a rather difficult book. Uh, and so what I did to begin is I, I would do this when I was a, a student as well. I went to Spark Notes. Mm-hmm. I read the full book summary and then I sat down and read the book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, because otherwise I would not be able to follow. Yeah any anything but i i want to give you my thesis statement for my review of wuthering heights Ooh, i'm excited okay because i i feel it's not like um it's not like native son where i'm just like oh mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um it's more like uh, uh, <laughs> like that's uh so wuthering heights is a soap opera oh yes it it is an absolute dramatic mm-hmm. like crushing yeah. twist the knife kind of soap opera yeah. where you're like but then this dramatic thing happened and then and then this dramatic thing happened and then <gasps> yeah. they were in love but they could never be and then this dramatic thing happened yeah. like it's very, um, to, to me, the reading experience is rather exhausting. It is, but it's also similar to a soap opera. I found it, and I actually wrote this down, compulsively readable. Like, I I kept being like, like oh my god, like, what? This happened? And, oh my god, what's going to happen next? I like could not put <laughs> it down. Um, which I wasn't really expecting from... from what I, what little I knew about Wuthering Heights, that there's a guy called Heathcliff and it's, there's some love and that it's <laughs> there's in the a more. Cape song. <laughs> um, so for me, I actually, and maybe it's because I secretly kind of love soap operas, but I really, really, um, I was carried along and carried away with all of the dramatics, even while reading it. And saying to myself, nobody is likable. Like, yes, that's a, a thing I, I have as well. Like, like, there's no, there's no hero. There's no heroine. There's nobody that you're rooting for. They're all so terrible to each other. It, it, it's like, how far will yeah. they go with this? Yeah, I, I like the phrase, um, train wreck poetics. Oh, that's great. Where the appeal of the story, and a lot of the appeal of the story is just how far the the wretchedness will mm-hmm. take you the the horror the the you know the hook in you right it's like it, it's hooked you not in a way necessarily that's going to comfort you but it's like the hook is in your skin you can feel it tugging yeah. on you yeah and you're like Fuck it, I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, I'm gonna I just, walk with it. Yeah, I can't I can't resist it. Like it's 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 there. I'm just gonna yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna play the game. I'm gonna go with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is such a great that's such a great comparison to make of it being like a soap opera because I was I was reading it and I like I said it was it was compulsive, like I had to know what was happening next. 
And the whole time I'm thinking like, you know, God, these people are being so terrible to each other. And even like you, you have these glimpses and flashes of sympathy and these moments, like, like the scene between Catherine and Heathcliff where they're, they're really getting into professing their love for each other and talking about like how they can't live without each other and all this stuff. But they're also just being terrible to each other. And you're just mm-hmm. like, God, like what? Oh, these people are so frustrating. But I'm also, <laughs> it's like I'm rooting for them, but I'm also rooting against them. It's this really paradoxical thing, but I think it makes for really good reading. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least for me, I really, really enjoyed it for that. Well, I for for me, I struggle to find another book quite like Wuthering Heights. Mm, okay. For that, like, I feel, I feel like Bronte really hits that compulsiveness in, yeah. in like readability, uh, in in a way that it's like uh, I think this is another one for the. Writer could have used hug. Uh, yes. um, <laughs> pile, yes. um, which is which is crazy because like mm. not everything I read about like the Brontes' upbringing is all like, and they were all terrible. No, their father fed them to rats. Right, right. Every single night, their bed was also rats, <laughs> and there was no window, and, and they were, were on the moor. Spiders and yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's it's very it's it's very intense. Yeah. Um uh and and like a a soap opera. Yeah. So yeah. Uh I didn't know you were into soap operas. So, it's been it's been a while since I really really got into a soap opera, but when I was younger, I had a a summer in high school where I got super into General Hospital. And I, I would watch it like religiously, and it was like this, and it was so interesting because it's, you know, it's called General Hospital, so you're thinking like, oh, it's going to be a medical show, and it really wasn't. It was like it, like everything that was happening was like these like families that were like somehow associated with the hospital. Like, they'd be like a rich benefactor who's like, you know, like or or it would be like some shady mob boss, and like he somehow is attached to the hospital. But it was like nothing it wasn't like Grey's Anatomy you know what I mean like it wasn't (laughs) happening in the hospital but I couldn't stop watching it it was like every day at I think it was at three o'clock I would watch General Hospital and then many years later I was working at a college and they had a um I I was working at Emerson College and they had a gym on site and I would go to the gym on my lunch breaks and just eat my lunch at my desk and um so I was going to the gym and somebody had put one of the TVs on a channel that had a soap opera on. So I can, and I can't remember which one it was. It might've been all my children, but I started watching like while I was on the treadmill, watching oh this soap opera and getting I love so it. it's into like it. it. It's like <laughs> you're in a dive bar and someone yes. offers you E <laughs> and you're like, this is my life yeah, now. Yeah, this is it. Like, this is what it's like. Yeah, every day I would like go to the gym, catch up on my soap, <laughs> sweat for 45 minutes, and then you know go go back to work. It was um, so yeah, and I I feel like there there are so many shows like soap operas are on the way out, right? Like, how often do you hear someone talk about a soap? 
Well, you can't binge them. You can't binge them, but there's so much of that energy and those elements in these shows, like Grey's Anatomy, for instance. Like, I would call that a soap opera that's on during the evening, right? Like, it's the same, like... like prime time. Yeah, it's like the same high drama, like... They're not your stories yeah. anymore. <laughs> that's right. So, um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and soap operas. And it, it does, yeah, Wuthering Heights has that same kind of energy where it's like, you're wondering like, oh, Carly says she's pregnant, but the doctor says she's not. And what's going to happen? And oh my God, now Sonny's coming in with a gun. And like, like, that's what (laughs) Wuthering Heights reads like all my GH fans, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, So I'm sitting here being like, this sounds like a very relatable joke. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's, um, it's kind of cool to think about it in that context, too, because at the time that this was written and published, I mean, books were your main source of entertainment, I would think. I, I mean, unless you At least you're, at home. Yeah, at home, exactly. So I could totally see devouring this and, and being much like the main character in, um, <laughs> the one we just read. What the hell was that called? Northanger Abbey. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Catherine it, Moreland, it, another Kathy. Yes, another Kathy. Um, being like Catherine Moreland and being like, oh, I can't, I can't stop reading these gothic novels. Like, it's a similar thing to I can't stop watching General Hospital at three o'clock every day. You know. <laughs> I must. I must know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so. Um, with with um, Wuthering Heights, there's this very interesting um, narrator or mm-hmm. narration. I love to it. I love the narration because essentially the book has two narrators. Yep. There's in a way, Lock Lockwood, Lockwood, and Nellie. Lockwood and Nellie Dean, and my note here verbatim as. These narrators are two gossipy queens. Ah, yes, that is so um, good. Like, like Lockwood is uh, the tenant, Heathcliff's tenant, mm-hmm. um, at the beginning, and essentially he he visits Wuthering Heights, and the vibe he gets is like, the the fuck. Yeah, these people um, are fucking crazy. Something <laughs> is not okay here. <laughs> Which is crazy because I feel like everyone's had that experience. Oh, like yes. when you walk into a room and you're like, hmm. Yeah. It seems like the conversation has started before me <laughs> and will continue after I'm gone. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and so uh, Lockwood and Nellie Dean like sit down and they go through. All, all the fucking baggage. All of it, yes. They spill all the tea yeah. between the Earnshaws, the Lintons, and, and Heathcliff. And Nellie is this amazing... I, I love her narration and her perspective because she has been with these families for her entire life. Like, she grew up with the Earnshaws and she's worked in service for the Earnshaws and the Linton. For what at the end of the story, I think she's what in her forties or fifties. So she's she's got all of this baggage in her memory and in her person 
Mm-hmm. And she has this amazing storytelling style, I think. And she's super gossipy. <laughs> did I freeze? No, no, you did, but we're good. Okay. Um. So, <laughs> I'm building off what I'm pretty sure you, you said, which was uh, she has an amazing and effective storytelling yes. style. Yes, yes. Um, uh, adding to that, this is something that really impresses me about one, Wuthering Heights, two, Nellie Dean, and three, our uh, ongoing conversation on upstairs, downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think we always we always seem to be going back to the remains of the day. Totally. As if as a fantastic, if not textbook, example of like this is the perspective of the service. Yeah. Um, this is the perspective of the have-nots, and something that all of the Bronte sisters do is they know. That just because people are working class means that they also and still have rich inner lives yes. and perspective. Yes. Uh, so there, there's this way. And class is throughout this book. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, cl- class is everywhere. You sort of have the, the, the past tense grandeur right. of, of, you know, the landed gentry. Um, but you also have the perspective of... Uh, service of laborers um, and uh, what I love is like just how much voice Wuthering Heights gives to the people who aren't just the the wealthy socialites yeah you 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 get this sort of grassroots perspective on like yeah these people are fucked up yeah right? They're so messed up and crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's like an insider's outside perspective. Yeah. Uh, which I just think I just think it's cool. It's I, also there's this thing. Sorry, I'm gonna talk over. No, you. no, no. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, there, there's this thing uh, or this narration style that I've loved ever since Lemony Snicket, mm-hmm. where you have essentially this kind of kind of third person narrator mm-hmm. um that is interacting with the story yes um so to us it's technically a first person narrator mm-hmm. but you're get you're getting this this perspective from someone who is both engaged with and removed from the story right um i think that's one of the things that makes uh, a series of unfortunate events such a curious um, storyline mm-hmm. where it's being told through the perspective of Lemmy Snicket, who is reporting on events that he researched uh, that happened years ago. Right. Um, and he, and nothing good has come of these events. <laughs> um, as some would say that the events were rather unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you have these moments where he, it's like this is how he's connected. Right. Where where he steps in into it. And what I love with Nellie Dean in Wuthering Heights is it's it's an extension of that, yeah. or, or I would say that to like the tenth degree of uh, like I'm I'm with it. You get the sense of the sweeping familial portrait yeah. she's rendering, and then also she is part of the story. She's yeah. then brought in, and then sometimes it, it's like a baton pass. You're like with Lockwood for a little while, right? Right. Um, and then you're like Lockwood, who's experiencing the shitstorm in real time, um, and then. 
<laughs> and then the baton passes back to Nelly, yeah. who's been with the shitstorm for forever, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I I really enjoy the way that Emily Bronte sort of navigates those waters, despite the fact that I think it is a rather um, difficult way. Uh, yes. Of of divulging story. Yes, it is. You that that constant flipping of okay, this person is narrating and now they're sort of a, a player in the scene and now we're back to her narrating and now we're going to the person that she was originally telling the story to, now he's narrating and it does get um, messy, I guess, to, to constantly be, be flipping those perspectives. Um, I had mentioned to you that part of this, I ended up doing audio to, to listen to the book while I was doing chores and things like that around the house so that I could uh, be be finished in time. And actually, the narration, the, it was a good um, audiobook narrator, um, and she did a good job of differentiating between the characters' voices. And so when it was Lockwood interjecting with something and then it went back to Nellie, you were like, oh, okay, now we're back with Nellie. And that, like, that's such a skill. I... If you have not tried audiobook as as a way to absorb literature, I highly recommend it if you get a good reader. Um, I don't know. Do you ever listen to audiobooks, Jack? Or um, I do not. Okay. Uh, the closest I'll get is like Lavar Burton reads. Oh, okay. The okay. Lavar Burton reads podcast. Like I yeah. do it for a short story, but yeah. I'm a I'm a, a a zoner outer. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, um, I yeah. So for the, this one, I was I was jumping between reading the the printed text and then listening to the audio. When I was like, okay, I have to do dishes. This is going to take me thirty minutes. I I don't want to fall behind, so I'm going to put on the audiobook. Um, but there have been times that I have you know I I have listened to an entire novel on audio and and yeah, the reader makes a huge difference. And the mm -hmm. the reader for this one did a good job of translating that mixed narration into good storytelling, um, which was nice. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, cause you were talking about class and how interwoven class is to the, the whole story. I mean, a big part of why Catherine and Heathcliff don't marry is because of class class. Um, a big part of, you know, just it, all of it is kind of, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all enmeshed and interwoven in this world and in these lives. Um, and one of the things <clears throat> that I that I wrote down in my notes, and I don't know if it's a stretch, but I wanted to bring it up because I found um, hints of a feminist voice and theme throughout this book. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I found it interesting um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, one of the things that stood out to me was when, um, Linton, uh, the younger Linton marries the younger Catherine and Heathcliff forces the marriage on them. Sorry, spoilers, friends, um, forces the marriage on them. And then he is, he's telling Linton everything that she owned is now yours. She is now your possession. And 
the fact that Bronte calls that out as how incredibly cruel it is and that that I mean for that time that is that was true I mean legally that would be true unless you had you know documentation or something like that or like an official you know dowry that states okay you get this but she gets this um and I the fact that that is painted as him being cruel to her is to was to me like sort of an indictment of society at the time um and I I saw flashes of things like that like when the younger Catherine is also she's probably one of the stronger female figures um and when she is really standing up to Heathcliff um and saying I'm not afraid of you like that to me was it's just this bravery that is is coming across in this otherwise sort of like sweeping romantic novel of these these women who are kind of standing up for their own in this interesting way um or maybe not even standing up but like the fact that the the author is calling it out for like this is fucked up this is how we treat the women in our society <laughs> like <laughs> turning to the camera being like yes yeah. that's yeah <laughs> I'm not the only one that thinks this like, is screwed can, up, can, right? Can we take a minute and just talk about, like, how him, you know, him saying this. Can we circle I, back to this? I don't like, think I, that, I own you? Yeah. Hang on a second. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, like. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. So, I don't know. I, and I don't, I mean, you, t I know you tend to look more into the academic research. I am not a Bronte scholar at all. <laughs> but I, I just. Fucking dare you. <laughs> I thought it stood out to me and I, I haven't, you know, pursued it any further because, like I said, I just finished the book today. But um, but I, I would love to hear any thoughts that you have on that or other themes that you picked up of um, sort of social social commentary um, that's also happening in this soap opera yeah, novel. I, I think it's it's worthwhile to look at Wuthering Heights uh or, like, a lot of these uh, novels written by women published in the 1800s as proto-feminist. Mm -hmm. um, and in a way, we I, I feel like you have a good case for reading something like Wuthering Heights as uh, an intersectional text. Yeah. Now, now not a lot of intersections, because we, we definitely know, like, I, I wouldn't, I go so far to say that Emily Bronte is sex positive. Oh um, goodness, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but if we're looking at things like the intersections of gender and class, yeah, we've got a lot going on there uh, because we're we're talking about uh, women as possessions in in like a lot of a lot of this book, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and at the same time. Like what is also one of the primary narrators is a working class woman. Yeah. Um, and and so it's like where the book is giving voice to uh, working class women. Right. Um, and at the same time presenting uh, the the gentry, the women of the gentry mm -hmm. as as possessions, as property and objects. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's fascinating too because there's a moment um towards the end where Nellie and Zilla, the other housemaid um who's sort of on the scene, are having a discussion and Zilla says to her she says, Catherine is now in a worse off position than you and I because 
we at least have our work and you've been putting money aside. She has just had all of her inherited wealth stripped from her by this horrible figure of Heathcliff in her life. Um, and that I, I found that really fascinating. And there's also, you see Nellie in particular, and I mean, she is the narrator, so there's, there's a possibility of it's not entirely reliable, but she wields a certain amount of power within these families. Yeah. Uh, building off of that. Yeah. So one of the things that I look at this book for is that the upper class characters in Wuthering Heights often wield class as a for uh, as a sort of weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- one of the ways that I think that this manifests is uh, through, or a couple ways that it manifests is through manual labor and education. Mm, yes. Um, so the people in power in this book, if we're looking at like the if Earnshaws, if we're looking at like Hindley. Yeah. Um, uh, we're if we're looking at these people in, in the idea of like, okay, if you like someone who doesn't have uh, like generational power of mm-hmm. any kind, uh, what someone can do is they can send them to get educated. Right. Um, if they don't like them, they'll stop the education and they'll force you to work the fields. Right. Uh, so what then happens is manual labor becomes a sort of weaponized form of class that the people who have power or are close to having power can wield against people who have slightly less power to their name. So I feel like this is one of the ways that we sort of can mobilize our understanding of uh, Zilla and Nellie Dean Mm. not having that storm or being better off because there's not really, they're they're not close to, they're not close to the fruit. Right. right? They're not close to reaching out and grabbing the fruit. They're, They're never, like, it's not available. No one's thinking like, okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna help these women. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but they're employed. They're working. They have some. They have any money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, where, whereas you have like, I believe it's Hindley. When Hindley inherits Wuthering mm-hmm. Heights, he's like, Heathcliff, fuck you. Yeah. Go yeah. work the fields, and then when. Uh, Heathcliff takes Hareton. Yeah, and he's on the his, same his exact work. thing. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he, yep. like, like that's it. That's what happens, and the and cycle he, repeats. And it's interesting too, like Hareton, the way Heathcliff approaches him. It, it's so because. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. At the very beginning, when Heathcliff is young, you feel for him. Right, like he's he's this kid who was adopted into this family. He doesn't know anything about his own background, where you know where he's from, who his parents were, anything like that. How he came to be like by the side of the road, picked up by this rich guy, um, and and he's and they're like, I'm going to save him. Yeah. And then the rest of the story is like, how many different ways can we fuck up a child? Yes, exactly. And then. You see, he forms this attachment to Hareton, but then he fucks up Hareton. And he's like, hey, kid, I'm going to teach you to, like, swear. 
and yeah. and like just be a little asshole and you're just like wait a minute wait what <laughs> like is this is this a commentary on like um oh my god like a, a cyclical uh yeah you know like like the cycle begins i know yeah Fuck. it's so fucked up and it's like and and i have to say when i was getting to the very end I was I was starting to feel good because like okay here we go like the, here's some some glimmer of hope in the end of this book like because Hareton is is actually getting some affection and he's actually being cared for and he's getting some education um, and the person doing it for him is Catherine and that's that's there's something lovely about that. Um, and it felt to me when I was reading it, I was like, haha, this is like come up inside on Heathcliff. Um, because like Have you considered fuck you? <laughs> um, because you know what? Like he can like kick them around um and keep them down as much as he wants to try, and he tries everything. Um, but at the end of the day, they they find some happiness with each other and um they yeah, it's it it's a little glimmer of hope. Um, sorry, so that was quite a tangent, but but it's yeah, it is interesting how how as you said, education and manual labor are sort of one is weaponized, not weaponized. What's the word I'm looking for? No, I I would say the whole thing yeah. is a form of weaponization. Yeah, uh, anything that in a way or metaphorically raises or lowers one's station in society. Right. Um, is something that these characters will wield against each other. Can we also talk about how fucking violent everybody is in this book? Mm, yeah. Like... The, on page 149... Yeah! On this book, one oh of the things God. that really struck me was uh, the actual use of the word... Slut. Yes, and Heathcliff uses it a lot. He calls yeah, yeah. He calls uh, Kathy a slut all over the place, and I'm just yeah. like, damn, son. I should guess it was her own," said Heathcliff. She degenerates into a mere slut. God. She's tired of trying to please me uncommonly early. You'd hardly credit it, but the morrow of our wedding, she was weeping to go home. However, she'll suit this house so much better for not being over nice, and I'll take care she does not disgrace me by rambling abroad. Oof. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about even the very first introduction that we have to Wuthering Heights when Lockwood goes to the house, and it's like, I'm trying to remember where it happens, but I feel like there's something where, like, somebody hits someone else like they're in company you know what i oh, mean like oh my god that... it's like when you're staying over at a friend's house yes. and then the parent comes down and starts yelling at your friend oh my god it's so terrible <laughs> it's... you're sitting there being like um oh. i really don't think i should be here do for i this. need to leave <laughs> um yeah because it's like i think it's it, i i'm not gonna i'm probably not gonna find the exact text but um like Catherine and Hareton and Heathcliff and um, Joseph are all like chilling together. And then Heathcliff gets mad at Catherine. And he's like grabbing her book and she's like digging her nails into him. And I'm just like, oh my God, like in this yeah. time of like 
polite society and like this is your landlord and you're going over his house to like <laughs> try to be pals and it's like his family is having like a domestic and his family is like, like oh. you know it has been five minutes since last time i've been proper pissed off <laughs> yeah it's so why insane. not throw a fit so insane i mean it's just like oh man and that's all throughout the book there's so much like scratching and and um and hindley when he like gets drunk and he's like running around with a pistol and everybody's like okay time to lock ourselves in our room it makes me wonder <laughs> how the families lasted until heathcliff mm-hmm. right heathcliff is not the source of all of their problems he's just, he he becomes the sort of the the spokesperson of many of the problems. Yes. Um, but he is brought in as a child. Yeah. So it's like when they're raising him, it's not on him to be good. It's it's on him to be a child. Right. Right. Um. Because then you have like the dad favoring him instead of his own son, and yeah. the son getting angry at uh, projecting onto the the lower class boy or right. the nothing boy. Uh, who does? And then it's just it's just this whole web of there's not a a single truly emotionally mature person oh god in the estate no it my note is if these people were at all emotionally mature we wouldn't have a book it's true there'd be no no thing to read here yeah yeah they're all the whole thing would be like a couple lines yep it'd be Er earnshaw brought heathcliff home he gentle parented <laughs> and uh everyone got oh got married God. in the end like that that's it yep barely yep. a paragraph yeah oh my god oh that was the other thing i was going to say about the the um uh what what did you call it proto feminism the fact that isabella just ups and leaves heathcliff and just like goes live goes to live her own life with her kid for 10 years. I love that. I was like, yeah, Isabella. <laughs> Deuces. I'm <laughs> like, out. <laughs> Good job, you. <laughs> um, you like, do you have a husband? And she's like, who wants to know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, this book was such an interesting... Re- I feel like I could talk about this one for, like, a whole evening. I really <laughs> do. I mean... There's just so much to break apart and there's the language is like, there's so much atmosphere just throughout the book. I mean, Mm -hmm. this, this one, like we talked about Northanger and how it does not read as Gothic at all at at really any point. It it reads at like Jane Austen. Yes. And this, it's like, I feel like the first page I was like, oh yeah. (laughs) There's, it's, it's brutal. And so I, I would argue, going back to sort of like my, my Twilight principle, yeah. of the success of Twilight, mm-hmm. I think, is in part due to its sanitization mm. of it. Yeah. And part of me wonders if, if we're talking about Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, I think there's definitely, not to say that Jane Eyre is a sanitized book, but I do think it's a safer yes. book than Wuthering Heights. Is. I agree. W- Wuthering Heights is like, 
it, at no point is marriage like the prize, right? Right. In Wuthering Heights versus something in Jane, like Marriage and Jane Eyre, which is like, listen, I'm gonna do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But this guy, he's a little fucked up. But he is, you know. But that's like exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. that's where um, Anne Bronte sort of differs from her sisters, which mm-hmm. is Anne Bronte's like. This is a guy who is a nice guy, and I'm mm-hmm. going to marry him. Mm-hmm. And Emily and Charlotte are like, this is a guy. He's like, not okay. Yeah. But I would fuck him. But like, he's, <laughs> he's, he's kind of hot, you know? He's a bad boy. <laughs> yeah, he's terrible. If given the opportunity, he would um, disgrace the Geneva Convention. <laughs> but, like... It's Saturday. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... But, but he, has like, <laughs> he has a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 you know he stole his leather jacket? <laughs> did, did you see, like, like his shoulders? <laughs> and they're like, what about his shoulders? No, 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 nothing about his shoulders. It's but just, you're like... You know. <laughs> in that jacket, like, his shoulders, you know? And he's like, you know. <laughs> and and they're like, sisters. <laughs> A, 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 a good man. <laughs> yep, yep. Y'all, y'all are crazy. Um, uh, yeah, and there's there's a lot of. I mean, there's no. Uh, there's so much passion. Yes. In the in the love story in this one, I mean, there's never. I mean, obviously, the times being what they were, it's not like there's like a sex scene between Heathcliff and Catherine, but like there's like the way they talk to each other, the, the intimacy of, you know, they're kissing, they're holding each other. They're, um, whores. Yeah. Right. Um, there's, I I agree with you that it's, it's not sanitized. It's, you know, it's not, it's, I would say explicit. Yeah. You know, asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Explicit. For 1847. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of superhero stuff recently. Yeah. And it's not uncommon to just step on a human being and they'd explode. Or just shoot shoot through someone and you have blood spurting out and you see a rib cage. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing... The only text temporally near that I think kind of gets at that is... The moment where uh, Doctor Lanyon's face, like, like when when he watches, yeah, like Jekyll's face melt, melt. yeah, in in that, or or like the Penny Dreadful, mm-hmm. we're talking Sweeney Todd, where they're like baking people into pies, like mm-hmm. that's where it gets close. But but when we have something like this, where it's like they, I mean, like, like you can eat a person. Mm-hmm. But you can't have sex. I know. And that's where... And what's crazy is it's still that way. It is. I know. It's so nuts. It is so it's like, nuts. God forbid you see a boob. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I will eat human flesh. Yeah. And and yeah. it's just PG. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's crazy. No, I mm-hmm. totally... Um, and that that is the the uh, the tenor of this book as well. Like you you know, you, like I said, you have all this violence. Um, that I mean, I feel like she really doesn't shy away from it either. Um, you know, describing 
there's a scene where Hin- Henley throws somebody throws a knife and it like lodges in somebody's neck or something like it's just like the 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 blood is flying <laughs> in this book <laughs> um and and yeah and the passions are high um all around and yeah like and Heathcliff like getting into the grave with with Catherine oof there's like <laughs> Uh, someone needs to work through some things. Yes. <laughs> it's moments like that where you're like, psychiatry really wasn't invented for. It, yeah, it would have helped. If you can't say it to a priest in these days. Really, <laughs> and I think, no didn't they like to. scare all the priests away? Isn't the, the church? I don't know, but I'm, I love it. I'm pretty sure at the end they're like, the church is empty. Well, I, <laughs> like, love, I love the symbolism of that. Like, these people are so fucked up, even God's like, I'm out. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, I... Uh, we gotta move into rabbits. I Do you know. have any last thing last thing you want to um uh, say before we, we move in? No, I feel like I, I have rambled. Um I have waxed political about this book. It was All a right. fun well, read. I would say. Don't talk yeah. about my friend that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay. Uh I'm doing it. That's right, we need Um so if you're new to the summer reading podcast here at the end of the podcast, Marty and I will uh, rate the book that we will rate Wuthering Heights on a scale of no to five rabbits mm-hmm. um, based on how much we enjoyed it. Uh, so do you, you want to go first? Sure. I feel like I always go first. Um, I know. It's because <laughs> I ask you. It's by design. Um, I... So I don't think we've ever done. Have we ever done quarters? Quarters of rabbits. We're not going to. We do them almost every. Almost week. every week. So this this is getting three and three quarters of a rabbit for me. Uh, t- fucking. Uh, is it the same? Crazy. It's no. the same. No. Which is crazy because I you definitely <laughs> like this book more than I do. It's so funny. So I I had originally I started to write down my rabbits while I was taking notes. And I originally wrote four, and then I brought it down to three and three quarters. Um, okay. I was originally at three and a half, okay. and I brought it up oh, to, interesting. to three and three quarters. So actually, I might commit to three and a half. All right. I might commit to three and a half. Just rabbits. so that we can be disagreeing. Well, it's not even a disagreement. <laughs> a disagreement is like when... You are like five rabbits, and I'm like two rabbits. Right, right. That's a proper disagreement. <laughs> like, like this is the equivalent of if we're parking, and you're like, you're not double parked, but you're close to the line. Yeah. And it, it's like, no, you still have full right to that spot. You didn't even pass in my. It, it's like inconvenient, but no one. No, no one's in the wrong here. Mm-hmm. Everyone's parked. Mm-hmm. Everyone's okay. in our own spot. It's true. Like, like, yeah. I guess so. a disagreement would be if I was like, I think Heathcliff is the best man and I wish I had a spouse like him. <laughs> and, and you were like, uh. <laughs> like, um. Oh, uh, this is a uh, hot, moody vampire boyfriend uh, all over again. Right? As uh, your friend, I have I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but as a romantic, uh, <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> right, okay, so you have th- three and three quarters. Three and three quarters. Yeah. Why? Um, Why? because like Explain I said, yourself. I explained myself. 
compulsively readable, as I said. Um, I really enjoyed it. I did, I mean, it, it, it is, it's high octane. Um, so it's not necessarily a book that I think I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, I can't wait to read Weathering Heights again, like anytime soon. But, um, but I think the writing style really appealed to me. Um, the story kept me guessing and wanting to know what happened next. Um, and, and yeah, I just, uh, and like I said, there were some surprising elements, um, to it, like, like the, the class discussions, um, the, um, the sort of little, little flashes of feminism, um, and the fact that it ended on a hopeful note, I think really, really sealed the deal for me on enjoying it. Um, because if it had, I was pretty doom and gloom the whole time. And if it had no. ended, <laughs> if it had ended with like, and they all died, <laughs> which would probably be a 2.75 for me. But the fact that it ends with a note of hope and it sort of, has this feeling of okay so this fucked up history happened and now we're gonna move on and we're gonna build something new <laughs> someone that's... comes in they're like that that's fucked up right yeah yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> so tell tell about your three three point five um well i kind of feel like i have the opposite reading experience where mm. i could not wait to put this book down. Wow. Okay. Um, I uh, I f I find it very tiring. Okay. Because again, it's like there's no one that I'm rooting for. Yeah. Really, even that core love story, I'm not really rooting for them. No, it's true. Um, and uh, I think because of things like the chronology, mm -hmm. where talking about like if if you go in and you start reading Wuthering Heights, one of the things that e you will easily stumble upon is a disambiguation of when shit happens. <laughs> yes. Um, it's like, okay, it's told through the perspective of Lockwood and uh, it's his diary and Nellie Dean is saying these things. He's like writing it and there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot going on and... Uh, the the book for me the book is work. Mm, okay. Uh, it's it's very much work. I don't get invested in their lives so much. But uh I do think it's technically like the technics of it, the m mechanics of it very engaging. Yeah. Very fascinating. Um and like the the way that she plays with having multiple narrators, the mm -hmm. way that she weaves in and out of all of these characters' lives, uh, I think is uh, astonishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that, I'm like, okay, I respect it. I, I think that she's doing a lot of interesting things. Um, she's making these commentaries on uh, class, gender, uh, love, uh, you know, desolation, mm -hmm. if, if we could throw that in there. Uh, in a way that's not like hitting you over the head with it, right? Like right. say, I have this thing with um, superhero stories these days. Yeah, is fucking superhero stories. They have like a genre identity crisis, <laughs> where <laughs> you have this central superhero figure. Yeah. So it's sort of set up like it's going to be a plot of character, 
But because they're superheroes, they're sort of grinding against a plot of action. Mm. So it's like you need to develop the character, uh, but you're throwing that into the house of like explosions need to happen. Yeah, fights need to happen. yeah, yeah. Um, so the way that they develop the character feels sort of tertiary, like the acting of the story, not of like the actors actually doing it, um, is often like lacking or disingenuous mm-hmm. because. Uh, because they're hitting you over the head with, my father. I'll never be my father. Right. He died when I was young. He's the villain. I don't want to be my father. I don't need to. And, and um, yeah. it's just it's just really, fuck, fuck me. I, <laughs> I can't with this. Um, and so Emily here, Bronte. And Emily, I, I don't Emily know her. here. We're not friends. Um <laughs> Uh, he's, he's really, uh, adept. Yeah. And, like, I want to make this commentary and I want to make this commentary, but I'm go I'm just going to do it by showing you these people's lives right. and th- making the characters who the characters are. It's not, and I'll always love you, but we can never be together. Right. It's, right. hey, um, boy, come over here. Do you want to learn how to say fuck? <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> and that, that's, like, how, like that allows you to interpret right. off of that, which right. is which is why I'm I, I'm like yeah okay. Do do I just enjoy the book? No, I don't. But yeah. do I like what the book's doing and how it's doing it? Yes, I do. Okay, so for you, it's more of a style the the stylistics, yeah. the mechanics of it. I would say it's a, a mechanically enjoyable. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm realizing that we never actually talked about what she's saying about love in the in the story. I don't think it's pleasant. No, it isn't. It really isn't. And it's... I think that's that's also where I get part of like the teenage primal yeah. of it. I think it's like love sucks <laughs> and is fake and people only end up hurt. And it's painful. It. And, and, oh, and I there's, there's do... only one love. <laughs> there's only one. There could never be another. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, that's like, yeah, it. Yeah, and I was I was reading it as well at one point when um, they're trying to keep um, Kathy and Linton, Catherine and Linton, from writing letters to each other, and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, for God's sake! Like, if you if they're 16 and you don't want them to be together, the last thing you want to do is be like, you can't be with him. <laughs> Yeah, at that this point, it's like, okay, just leave the bedroom door open. Exactly. Just, I'm going to be at the bottom of the stairs. Be the safe. The second I hear a box spring, I am knocking on the door. Yeah. All right. I don't know. It's just, I, I was reading it and I was like, did they learn nothing from Romeo and Juliet? Like, just let them <laughs> let get it out of their system. Like... <laughs> All right, so that's that's for rabbits. Yeah, rabbits. You do. It happens. Three point seven five and three point five. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well. Oh my goodness, that's it for Wuthering Heights. Oh my God, I'm uh, I'm telling you, I could talk about this book for wild hours. Well, we're at time, so we have to end. I so know. Just Jack. cope, Mason. Listen, Crowell. Thank you for <laughs> listening. To the summer reading podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is the end. <laughs> I know. Um, thank you for listening to the summer reading podcast. 
Uh, our music is by Nathan Morrissey. He's a good lad. You can find him on Instagram at Nathan.Morrissey77. Um, did I say on Instagram? Yes, you did. Did I open with yeah, that? Yeah, right, you're good. Okay. <sighs> our editor is my brilliant, wonderful, amazing, astonishing, wonderful, brilliant, lovely mom, Rosa Maria. You can find her on Instagram and on Etsy at Crochetwell, all one word. Um, please go check out her stuff. She's pretty good. It's um, all really mo- cute. Most of the art in my uh, domicile is stuff that like people have made for me. That's awesome. Um, it's primarily like my sister and my mom's stuff, but like I genuinely am like, yeah, that's that's good stuff. That's good shit right there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this podcast is created and produced by uh, Marty and myself. Woo! Um, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at Marty. Tell us the summer reading podcast at gmail.com. Please uh, thank you. send us a note. Yep. If you have anything you want to let us know, uh, or a book you'd like us to read that, that we haven't read already, uh, you can email us there. Uh, I have been your professor. My name is Jack Kroll. You can find me. We kind of forget this sometimes on Instagram at Jack from TV, all one word. And I am Marty. I have been and continue to be your librarian. Um, and you can find me um, on Instagram, maybe. I think my account is still private. But... Your account is private. It's private. And if I may add, because it's private, mm-hmm. when you post about the show, I'm not allowed to share it to my story. Okay, I'm going to fix that I'll fix it. Um, well, you can just, you just make an I Instagram. I know, I'll make one for the you show. You can make a public Instagram. You can still have that private Instagram and make a public public instagram okay so so public instagram to come right now if you want to try to friend me it's marty underscore the k on instagram all right okay thank you okay you're welcome thank you for listening we will see you next time or we will hear you next time or you will hear us next time uh when we read (gasps) jane Jane air by charlotte bronte Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you then. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>